Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Past players. Past legends. Past legends. Welcome back, and this is part two of our interview with Timmy Timmy Ginever, and uh, we ended off last time. We'd done the brewery, and we'd also started about uh, how you met your illustrious meeting with your now wife uh, Ange Timmy G. There's a story with Mister Bojangles on on memory, Timmy G. Oh, that's correct, and uh, yes. it, was, it was a very popular nightclub at the Newmarket Hotel, yes. corner of. Uh, North Terrace and West Terrace and a beautiful old building it is now. And um, <laughs> when we went up there, I went up there as a young man and, and I could not believe uh, got up there and, you know, you, you sort of listening to probably Tainted Love and, you know, maybe a bit of Jack and Diane or something floating around like that. And um, I remember uh, I'd seen Ange about two weeks earlier at the club. She was talking to a couple of the lads that uh, played the 19s and, we were chatting. Anyway, she came up chatting away, and I find out later on that she was actually uh, she was actually there that night looking for one of the other players. So it was just my bad luck that I was uh, at the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, call persistence to me, Jr. <laughs> That's a hard tag, mate. A very hard yeah. tag. <laughs> Uh, mate, so she may say a similar thing. Yeah, <laughs> she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mate, but, well, uh, welcome back for uh, part two, and um, and obviously we wanted to obviously finish off a, a bit on your career night, but yeah, certainly cutting the rug there at Bojangles uh, sounds like a bit of fun for you and the boys. Oh, it was, yeah, that, you know, it's like uh, everybody sort of gathers along to where later on in life it ended up being places like the venue and. Uh, Lenny's on a Sunday and yes, things like that. So yes. uh, just after the Bay Disco, and uh, yeah, so they were all really good good nights. Pecker's Disco used to run oh, on Thursday. Yes, night. that's right. So Sam's, Sam's, of course. But um, yeah, geez, you had some different bounces at uh, Sam's, didn't you? Yeah, the late great Jimmy Teal, Johnny Wynn, yes, Stazza. Terry Limbaum did a bit too. Yeah, didn't he? and Neil Craig yeah, was, was actually the fire, the firewood yes. fire fireman there. Yeah. Hey, yeah. There it is. Let's go back to Bojangles, though. And, Pete, your aim at Bojangles was to last for the last song of the last song. Yep. It was generally about 6.30 in the morning, yep. and it was Bojangles, the last song of the night. You, you sort of gave each other high fives that you've managed to it. last. Yep. Yeah, yeah. 
So. How many did you make, Timmy? How many of those did you make? I was too disciplined, mate. We had Sunday morning training. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't hang around with that, mate. Oh, dear, yes. No, I, I don't think I made one. Let's just say I may have left there rather late with Darren, Foss, uh, Darren Foster, who played a bit at Port and South. Yeah, yeah yes. remember Darren well. Yes, let's just say there may have been two females there and she drove him and got him to port training on the Sunday morning. And let's just say you had not, certainly hadn't had anything called sleep at that stage. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we only got to get a, get through a couple of hours and then you yes. can have all the sleep you want. Yes. So that were, the, that were the days when you were young and silly. Back in the day. All right, Timmy G, let's, let's go. So then, as we said about, you've ended up, you're now a port player. As we said, you should have been a Woodville player. Woodville should have had you and Greg Anderson. What a stuff up. We did speak briefly about that yesterday. Yep. Um, so your first you know, league, league thing, and then you'd had, uh, let's say, probably a learning experience through through Russell, and you admit yourself that you made a mistake there. And then let's just say John Cale and your the influence of John Cale on you and John Cale's ability to just to sell that you were invincible to to you guys and. For me, I actually appreciate that more now because Nord, for mine, finally won a premiership last year when they were nowhere near the best side. And I reckon John Cale got 11 out of 10 out of the port side for all those years, effectively. Yeah, I think you're right, Malcolm, in regards to Jack's influence. He just had an ability to make each and every one of us that needed to, you know, play well. I, I thought he got not the best out of us, he got better out of us. So, yeah, yeah. you know, that that was the thing. You, you, you might have had a limit on yourself, but Jack had no limits and he loved talking about no limits, whether that be on the team, whether it be on the season, whether it be on you as an individual. He just always used to speak about why limit yourself? Why put a cap on it? And I used to love that language and I used to mm. think, oh, he's right. And, you know, and he never feared things and, you know, I've heard other people say, oh, you've got to be careful of this or this might happen or whatever. He never, ever tempted the bad fate, if you like. He always tempted the opportunity, the, 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 the chance to be the best. And he always made sure that you were heading in that direction. So that's what I think I loved about him because it gave all of us that much confidence. And I saw him talk to players on a, on a Thursday night when, you know, they felt like they should have been in, selection and they might go and front him and, you know, we're yep, all sitting yep. in, in the showers or the bath or whatever. And I saw him handle it. And I thought to myself, you know, you hear a lot of people when coaches say, you know, you just got to be honest, you got to be truthful and all the rest of it. I, I saw Jack probably at times make, and I've, I've seen coaches talk to players and tell them the truth. Yep. And they walk away with that head down. I see Jack say things like, can't, can't believe how close you are. I can't believe how close you are. What you're doing at the moment and how you're doing this. He's, you know, another one like that, and I reckon you're in. And they'd walk away, and I could tell they're sort of half thinking, you know, is it the truth or isn't it? But they're going, yeah. I think I'm a chance. <laughs> if you think you're a chance, you're going to play well. And we had some depth, uh, and it's not easy. You, you know, probably through history to win yeah. the reserves and the league grand final, but you want them up there uh, as close as that can be. Yep. 
And we we had in our, in our run of premierships, we had uh, two occasions where they the, the reserves won the flag, and we had another two where they um, ran, were runner up. So you sort of go it, it, that that method worked because everybody believed that they were an opportunist, that they got this chance, and it it happened on a couple of occasions where guys got injured or hurt or. You know, Ralph Smith had his jaw broken and things like that, and guys come into the team that weren't in there the week before, and they play in flags. And I think of I think of a couple in that example with just where, as you see, he's almost a master psychologist and the ability to almost almost sell bluff, but sell it brilliantly. And I think of a couple Correct. examples there with Adrian Setri, Wayne yeah. Mar- Wayne Marnie, and Ivan Eckerman getting injured with that and and going forward with a and with a corky and strapped to buggery and kicking three in the forward pocket to beat Glenelgan in a grand final. And this is ability there. Um, well, he spoke to, you know, I know Ivan really well. And, and Ivan said, you know, he got, he caught that corky really early. He's in the, in the rooms. Daryl Carle had ripped um, the groin off the bone and he was in the rooms. So it's only 20 back then. And yeah. then I think it was Tim Kinnear got knocked out. So Kim comes in uh, because he's out, and uh, they said one of you's got to go back on the ground. And Daryl looked at uh, Ecky and said, oh, "I can't even get off the table, let alone run." He says, "It's got to be you." And Ecky said he went up, and he said that uh, Jack said to him, "You've played forward before. You're a forward. Get up there, kick goals." And it was like Ivan had, as a young fella, played forward and mid, and. He went up there and, you know, kicked three goals that oh, turned yeah. the game to win by eight points. It's just that, exactly that. It's like, well, there's no problem here. It's actually a bonus. We've got you because you, you've played forward. And that's that belief. Is that something that uh, John introduced over pre-season that, you know, sort of built your, your your season, I suppose, like most clubs do from a pre-season? But is that something that he was installing in those players right from the get-go at day one of pre-season? It's just the way he looks at life, Pete. He just looks at it always that this is possible. We can do this. And the instant that I noticed, you know, when he took over the group was that he spoke to us. He said, oh, look, you know, some of you will like me. Some of you won't. You know, that's just human nature. He said, but what we're going to do is as a group, we're going to be aiming to win the the premiership because that's why we play football. That's why we do pre-season. And that's what this club expects. And he said, don't worry. He said, we'll train really hard during the preseason. We'll play our games. I'll lighten off in the middle. He said, we'll have a little um, uh, a little tough patch in around about early August. He said, and then we time our run for the finals. And we were just looking at it as if, wow, there's the, the, the plan just being laid out right in front of us. It was the first time I ever heard him speak. Uh, and I thought, wow. This is it. We're going to the top. I mean, that was like a an October day. <laughs> it was incredible, yeah. and, and you just instantly thought, "This is it." And, and were there, you know, sort of bonding sessions or trips away with groups of players that allowed you guys to bond so well? Because it just seemed that uh, we know Port Adelaide, where the depth back then was fantastic, and and you guys all just seemed to be on the same page. It sounds like John was the man who drove that, and then you guys obviously took it over. The beauty of it, Pete, was that the majority of our whole group were either a country zone player or a metro zone player, and they'd all come through 
together. So we'd all played 17s, 19s, you name it. And that was probably Russell's, uh, what would you say? He, he had to play all of us for our first 50 to 80 games. Yeah. And it was, you know, that period with the club nearly went broke at the end yeah. of 1983. There's still a lot and, of people who don't realise how bloody close Port and Sturt were, especially to going under. Going, going under. And Bob McLean stood in front of everyone and said, it's a 50% pay cut uh, or we, we fold. Mm-hmm. And it, it had been released that basically the club was balancing its books by, you know, transferring a player, Mark Williams, a Bruce Abernathy, a Greg Phillips to the VFL and getting that big um, transfer yeah. check that used to come. Yep. And that was basically, we were running at a loss wow. until we got those. And of course, by the time 1983 come, we'd run out and there was no big transfer fee coming in. So we were, you know, um, really well and truly in the red. So it was a tough time and, and Russell had to take over at that time. And so he was basically told, you got to play the kids. And so all of us, and again, it was opportunity for us. And so we're excited about that, but you know, you got to go through and learn. And so all of the guys that you would have seen play like a, a Darren Smith center half forward, you know, Roger Delaney full back, uh, uh, Hodges, Tyler, um, Fiachi, Marnie, Rowan Smith, Daryl Borlas, all these guys, all of us came through the juniors, juniors together. Yeah. So we basically had done all the hard, tough yards together. And then, we get this guy that knows how to make you believe. And it was like, we just, we, we, we all bought into the, the dream and the belief. And that first year in 88, you may remember the club released a single written by Andy Upton, a, a local oh, yeah, guy. I do remember that. Yeah. And it was called Magpies Expect to Win. And it was all about, you know, black and white of colours feared throughout this state, Port Adelaide's fine achievements of nothing so short of great. And it, it was, you know, and in this year of Aussie pride, the, which was the bicentenary year of 1988, um, our nation comes of age, well, the team that stands for number one will rewrite history's page. <laughs> and I remember off by heart, but, you know, the Magpies expect yeah. to win. And they, they released that. And we had three players talk on it. It was... Bruce Abernathy, Martin Leslie, and our captain, Russell Johnson. And in it, Jono says, we'll win the flag. You better believe it. Now, we hadn't had won a flag since 81. Yeah. So here you are standing up in front of the whole competition, releasing a single that's saying you're going to win the flag, and you've released it in May. So <laughs> think about that for like if somebody did that today, oh my lord, they'd be hunted down. But it was this real thing about, like I said, we all bought into the dream, and this made it even uh, even more solidified that we're releasing a single about it. And I found it was funny because we had to paint a couple of rooms here, and I had to dig out all this crap and move it all and all yeah. this. And as I was putting it back, I had this old cassette holder. We all used to listen to yes, tapes back yep, in the day. Yep. And I had all my mixed tapes in there. And um, there was a piece of paper and I thought, what's that? So I pulled this piece of paper out and it was the actual letter that was given to each and every player to tell us about the release of this song. I make oh, wow. Expecting it. Yeah. It was incredible. And that's why I know it was made because it's dated. And, and every player got one. It was amazing. And they had a film clip with it. I think it went to number 17 on the charts. It was just Wait, might insane. Have to, might have to look that one up, I reckon. 
It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. I did laugh that uh, you mentioned Russell Johnson there, Pete. Russell Johnson was going to be centrefold in a magazine, but they're going to have to continue to it in the the next edition. So, yes, yes. Yes. Yes, that's very true. Um, But but it was just the the belief that that came flooding over the, the, the club and, you know, I, I, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head how we went that. I reckon we might have 17 and five. I reckon we might have finished that first year out and we played, uh, we played, yeah, we finished top, played yeah. Nord in the yeah. second semi. And it was a windy day and I think Nord only kicked two goals. Yeah, we, yeah thanks for that. I'll yeah. bring up, don't worry, we'll bring up, yeah, we'll bring up yesterday. Well, you might yeah. bring up enough of my issues. So, um, <laughs> Fair call, mate. Need to get one back, but yeah, yeah it was a. Uh, it was a. We went through and, and got to the grand final, and the Bays made their way through. And because let's face it, they were um, very experienced finals campaigners at that stage. They'd played in well, that was their fourth grand final in a row, and had a lot of premiership players. And um, I do remember in 1987, uh, and they'd won two in a row, of course. And I'll never forget having an argument with one of their players, and he turned to me and said, "Shut up, Ginevra! How many premierships you played in?" And of course, at that stage, zero. But yeah. in the end, in the end, I got. I think it. you might have got him covered. Yeah, <laughs> just just quietly. Now, Tim, Tim, onto a really serious, serious day, or well, not just day, um, but an, an event almost, and just a, an absolute tragedy is, is the word we're we're all obviously looking for. But even go through when you just found out with Anthony Williams on the on the Friday. Yeah, look, oh geez, you know, I know I've done this a couple of times for the club when we did the 150-year documentary yeah. recently, and I, I told the story a few times, and it just it hits you like a wave yeah. because it, it just takes you back to that moment, and it, uh, you know, it's just it's just really hard to comprehend the whole thing. But I was working at Balfour's, and I was there on the Friday afternoon, and got a phone call. Um, from the club saying um, Anthony Williams has passed away and um, and I'm like, how, what? You know, all the yeah. detail. Um, and just letting you know that, yeah, we'll be wearing black armbands tomorrow and Stephen's pulling out of the team. And you know, Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, no problems. And that was it, bang, and moved on. I think it was Bob Clayton making the phone call. So he went through the lineup, and it, it's it's one of those unbelievable sliding door moments where George Fiacci was in the reserves. Reserves, yeah. And Stephen at the time probably wasn't playing his best footy. He was actually in the back pocket. And so George comes in for Stephen into the back pocket. And the, the irony of that is that forced Stephen to go into the middle when he came back. And Stephen played the most unbelievable football. He, he Besides a hamstring that he did late in 88, he was leading the, the McGarry medal. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. yeah, so that, that's how good he was flying. So in the end, um, the, the game, of course, we go to the game and we're all unbelievably emotional about what had happened. Yeah. And, of course, Jack speaks to us all and says, now, you know, this is uh, where the situation's at, all the rest of it. Oh, we've got to and you've got to remember, prior to this, we had only won one in our last 11 encounters against Nord. Mm. Nord had beaten us 10 times in a row. And we finally won one, I think, the last minor round game of 87. And Nord always had the wood on us. So we go into this game with this heavy burden on us, plus having beaten Nord for 
you know, about four years. So it's like, wow, this is going to be huge. The game pans out. Nauta all over us. We're not mm. playing, not playing very well. And and I know personally, I I, I felt like I was struggling. I, I think I might have kicked one goal, but I just didn't feel like I was finding the ball or having any impact. And and I felt really bad about it. So because you don't want to let the family down. So we come into the rooms at half time, and nobody's emotional or anything. It's it's just a an air of absolute disappointment. And I'm thinking, not having experienced um, Jack as a coach, I'm thinking we're going to get an almighty blast here. And went into the rooms and he just sat us all down and said, guys, 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 you're trying too hard. You're trying too hard. Now, listen, this is what will be happening in the Williams household. There'll be a radio in every room. They'll be walking around. They'll be checking on your, your guys' effort and the score. And what they would have heard so far is that you're, you're committing yourself, you're going in hard, you're doing all those things, but you're just not keeping it calm, keeping it cool, seeing the right options, being able to get it and use it. I just want you to calm down within yourself and know that the family is with you. And it was just like pin could drop. And it was like, wow, I felt like this big relief come over me that it's okay. They understand. And so we go out in the second half and it was as gritty a, a, you know, a fight back and a, and a classic game that you'll get. And there's just so many unbelievable micro moments in it that would definitely be reviewed by umpires today. Yes. Um, yeah, well and yeah, yeah, correct. That, you know, Greg Phillips mark on the line from Tim McNeil um, yep. kick and you name it. And, it just came down to... You only to, marked it on the parade, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we ended up, you know, getting up by a smallish margin yeah. and, and coming over the top and getting into the rooms afterward, the elation and relief that we hadn't let the family down, the hugging and everything that went on. And then Jack just said, right, have your showers, get in your cars. We're going down as a convoy to the Williams household. And it was like, wow. And I don't know if you've seen Bruce Abernathy speak about it. Yeah. But he yeah. said it was just like the most incredible thing that we all just went down as one, as a procession and went in there. And, you know, I'll never forget the day. It's just so harrowing to see Floss and, and Vonnie sitting on that couch. And, and you know, at this stage, I, I hadn't met Mark Williams. I hadn't actually met Mark. And... You know, to see him crying and hugging Greg Phillips and the like and all that. And then, you know, I get to Steve and Steve said, oh, he said, I've just not stopped crying. He said, I'm a big silk. And I said, hey, you can't cry now, mate. You can never cry. But you've got to understand that's what the stuff we talk about today with yeah, himself. Yeah, bloody oath. You, you've got to let this stuff out. And and then I went up to Foss and he was absolutely shattered. And then it was funny. Vonnie was, you know, people talk about how strong she was. She grabbed my hand. She said, no, me." God only takes the best. And he took my son because he's the best. Yeah. And, you know, it was just, oh, it was an amazing strength that she could show in that, in that time. So, yeah, look, it's a, it's a bloody, it's a moment in time that I'll never forget because it, it had so many changing effects on so many people. And um, I think, you know, if, if Anthony was here today and he said, gee, if it sparked this and it sparked that and all the rest of it, then I've lived my life well. Were, were Nord obviously aware of the situation and was there any 
opportunity to postpone the game maybe for a day or was there any talk of that? I don't think hey, back then it just wasn't even yeah. remotely considered back then. It was not even considered. Yeah. There yeah. was not even a moment of that, nor and the whole football community knew about what had happened, but there was absolutely no mention of that whatsoever. And it was like it's and this happened on the Friday and we played on yeah. the Saturday. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was within the twenty four hour window. It was just incredible. And yeah, I suppose that is pretty much the way the like Malcolm says there wouldn't there wouldn't even been a discussion on it. Yeah. Uh, that it would have been that there. That it just week. came over it came over the Airways. the radio yep. and you just went what? Wow and mm. but but everything just moved on. Not moved on. Yep. Life continued on. Continued and on. And you had to and fit everything in. Yeah. yeah. And I just think mm. we've got better now as blokes at saying, hey, we're not okay. But back then it was still very much, hey, yeah. stiff, up, stiff up a lip, don't say anything. And that's come out. We had Ross Dillon on last, uh, Ross Dillon on last week, Tim. And yeah. we're talking about Ross Dillon, where Ross Dillon's father died when he was 16 on Christmas Day. He went to fix a drill and electrocuted himself. He'd had another brother die of myopathy disease and another brother commit suicide. Oh, and the man. majority of the Nord guys were not aware of that whatsoever. Mm. Aishi, Aishi, I told him, and he just went, bullshit. Yeah, no, no, man. Yeah. He was. He just couldn't believe it. He said, "Yeah, I played with Ross, played under his coaching, had no idea." And so that's an area where life, where blokes, we've got better. But back then, it was just, and it was a, it was an emotional day, obviously. And it, it, even as a nor, as a Norband, and we, we, we thought we should have been well up at halftime. And I, I think Tim probably would agree with that on the first half. And then Port came back, and it was a beeline. Did you know? Could have gone either yeah, yes. way. And as Port came off, I think a few of us went, you know what? It's bigger at than least, the game, isn't yeah, it? This, yeah. At least they've got this now for the Williams family, you know. And yeah, it was. It's, it's still yeah, in, it's still stuff. incomprehensible. Is probably a, a good way of putting it, Tim. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's just yeah, it was a significant day. We actually, it, funnily enough, that run that Norwood had against us, we then. Repeated. It went the other way, yeah. Yeah, it went the other way. We we won 10 in a row uh, against Norwood. So just was an amazing pivot point, if you like. It's amazing how events in clubs' history um, changes them for the better or sometimes for the worse, but it sounds like you guys all banded together and, um, you know, really honoured the Williams family. And the Norwood-Port rivalry, as we all know, is quite strong and has been through the years, but I'm sure there was absolutely the most amount of respect there on that day, that's for sure. Tim, we've uh, we've got an, we've got a brief interruption. Yeah. Ollie Pope bowled Pat Cummings for 14, England 3 for 73. Come on, we've got to get Root out. Come on, back, back to the interview. Yep. <laughs> breaking news. Well breaking news, breaking news. So then, Tim, you've hit Port's golden era. So 88, 89, 90. Go, yeah. You might as well hit me, Tim. I'll just go and get a, I'll just go and get a coffee, Pete. All right. Yeah. No, That'd be Tim. right. Leave, leave me with the, with the poor. Nah, go, Pete. Go, on, go on, nah, Tim. Mate. I've got to suffer. Huge respect for Port Adelaide. So yes. let's go for it. Yeah, go for it. You, your period of oh, dominance. But, you know. I think eighty-eight. Like that was that year that we had to, yeah, break a drought as far as Port Adelaide concerned. When it came to 89, a lot of us hadn't been 
you know, involved in one premiership, let alone trying to back it up. Yep. And, and I think there was this really significant moment in 89 where we won uh, the first game and we played Sturt at Alberton and we, we won reasonably convincingly. And then following week, we played uh, we played North Adelaide Prospect, got beat. And I, I reckon we played the Bays on Anzac Day and got beat. So we're, you know, one win and two losses and pretty disappointing in the two losses. And it felt like, because we won the, I think we won the pre-season comp, the Foundation Cup as well. So I reckon there was this complacency about, you know, you think you're too good. And I remember going to the Sunday morning training session thinking after the Bays loss, I reckon Jack's going to absolutely give it to us and we're going to be, you know, doing the old one ball in yep. the middle and yep. Foss Williams style running in. Yep. The, the shit out of each other, yep. yep. Yeah. Well, we, we've come down to the, to the oval and Jack sort of not doing his normal stuff and we're thinking, where is he? What's happening? And then the team manager came and said, uh, all of you, out in the oval. So we all went out in the oval. He said, right, now walk around, do all that. So we walked around and everyone's sort of looking at each other and yeah. what, what is going on? And we've walked right down to the northern end and then Jack's wandered his way down the middle of the ground and then stopped. And he sat us down in that pocket and said, I don't know, some of you haven't won a premiership before, some of you didn't play in it. I'm just wondering whether anybody wants to win one this year. And everybody was sort of looking at each other. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, well, your behaviours and the way you're going about it doesn't seem like it to me. What I want you all to do, he said, we're not, we're not trying today. He said, what I want you all to do is to go away. No, you're not trying tomorrow night. You come back here Tuesday and I'll see on the track whether any of you want to double up and win a premiership again because I, I haven't seen it. And he just walked away. And it was like, whoa, oh, that one hurt. And it was a real sting in your pride to basically say, I'm not punishing you, yeah. but I'm telling you, do you, do you really want it? Because I, I don't see it. And it was almost that, you know what, I'm not angry. I'm disappointed in you. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. one of Which us. Which hurts more yeah, in some ways. The spray by stealth. Yeah. You got it. And we all went away, pit pool. And we weren't playing that great. So we had – this was bizarre, Malcolm, and I know you've got a great memory. We played – our next game was Nord on a Monday night. Yes. At football park. That's right. Yes. Won the lights. And it, we have opened up like no tomorrow because it was going to rain. Yes. And we have opened up fierce and fast and created this huge lead. Now, I reckon we might have been six or seven goal up, I'm guessing. But it was a fair bit, and the rain came. Well, somehow Norwood just kept chipping away and chipping away. Yeah, went and down in the, the end, yeah, 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 I think we we only won by four points. Yeah, I was gonna, I was going to say four mm. points, mm. and yeah, Jeff Wilson will be listening to this at some stage. And it, again, it showed him his his dad had got a new car, and we'd gone back. Oh no, and we'd forgotten. We're all looking for the old car. <laughs> In the car park, and it's pissing down with rain, and it's about half an hour. We've realised, oh shit, that's right, it's a different car. Yeah. Uh, no, that, that's that, again that, showing my memory. And as soon as you said that the Monday night, 
I'm thinking, yep, four points, right? Yep, yep, yeah. there. That was the, the one. Expanses of the car parking at Footy Park oh, back in the days. Yeah, yeah, God, yeah. So we got up, and it was like a bit of a relief. But what happened after that, we just couldn't read about. We won 17 games in a row. Mm. We played this period in the middle where we played. We, we, were, um, we were top. We played the other top four teams, which were – North at the time, Norwood, Glenelg, and Centrals. The smallest winning margin that we won by was 72 points. Mm. We just had what I would say the best period of football that I ever played in at Aberdeen. It was just like this team cannot be cannot be beaten. It was unbelievable. And we were just flying. So I've never I've never played in anything like it since. Um, but it was the most dominant team that I'd, I'd ever played in. And we beat the Bays at, at Albert and Oval by 128 points, and they were sitting third. It was just unbelievable. We had... It makes that number 119 look like a cliffhanger, Timmy Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it was just an amazing run, and it, it all came to an end in a game that uh, I know lots of Rooster supporters absolutely love, but... It was uh, the Father's Day game of 1989. Great game. Yeah, and it was supposed to – it was scheduled for Alberton. But what had happened That's was – That's right, yeah. Yeah, we'd won 17 in a row. North had won 11 in a row since we beat them. And it was like this massive blockbuster. We were clear top one and yeah. two. And this was oh, going to – this, this game yeah. was going to decide who's going to win the minor premiership. So they said we want to shift it to footy park. And they did. They shifted it to the Sunday, Father's Day. Yeah. And 37-odd thousand yeah. rocked up to Footy Park to see it. Unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable. And it so, was one of the all-time great games. It was a classic. I think we, we got done by three or four points, not much. And it had everything. It had fights. Yeah. It had terrific goals. It had eye marks. It had a lot. It was an absolute cracking game. And then we... We lost, so there was only one game to go before finals, and then we played Norwood the following week, got beat by ten. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, we went, we went from the old what they say, the, the chocolates to bald lollies. Yeah. We've gone into a final series for the first time, sort of not on a on a high. We've gone in on a low. Um, so we played Centrals in the qualifying final, and we were struggling. And I'll never forget the moment. I think it all changed. And that was Simon Tregenza, as you know, he had a magnificent year in 89, really burst on the scene. Yep. He's lightning quick. He's bouncing down the, the members' yep. side of football park and he's being pursued by Stephen Schwert, who we know was super fit and fast yep. himself. Yep. And he's trying to get there. And Wayne Marnie came off his man and ran straight through him and cleaned him up in what That's today right. is a magnificent shepherd. It yeah. probably gets six weeks. Six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and took him off his back. He kicks it down. Scotty kicks a goal. Oh. And the whole game changed. It was like poured it back. And and it was like the care for one another's back. And it was incredible. And it turned the game. We won by massive margin. And then um, beat North in the second semi by oh, probably only about three or four goals. Yeah. And what was a good game. And then, of course, the grand final, we all know was a bit of a disaster, I reckon. Um, yeah, I know it was, they. It was bizarre, yeah, wasn't it? It was it just was. so weird. Um, I went along as a neutral. Mm-hmm. This should be a great game, yeah, and yeah. it was just—it was just really weird that it was 
was just wasn't even a contest virtually from the very very bounce. from the first bounce yeah. really. But you, you, I reckon you had it won effectively probably fifteen minutes in or something even. You know, at, at, at quarter time, I walked in. I've got to say, before the game, I looked at Andrew Obson and said, "We're going to have to play the best we've ever played to beat these blokes." Yeah, because I felt like their midfield was yep. probably the, one of the best stars, yep. going around. And by quarter time, we had the breeze, which was you know a bit blustery and unusual. As we were walking in, I said to David Brown, "I said I don't think we kicked enough. I think we might have kicked five goal four. I said I don't think we kicked enough. You know what they're like? They're a goal kicking machine, you know. So we get in and go right. We're going to have to be really steely in that second quarter. Well, by Halfway through the second quarter, I was like, what is going on? Yeah. What is happening? It was just bizarre. So by halftime, I think we're like 9-8 to a couple of points. Points, yeah. It was just bizarre. So in the end, like we we're going to go into the third quarter with a strong breeze again. We'll, you know, we'll set the game up. But it really was bizarre. And i got to say, at the end of it, it didn't feel like a grand final. It just didn't because it just felt like you hadn't earned it because it was just like a, a non-contest. Now – Sometimes you can have a day that just everything goes wrong, and we know that. You just mentioned 8 and 19 earlier, but it's just it was just bizarre against such a talented outfit and probably a, an anti-climax to what should have ended a really good year between the two clubs. And poor Craig Burton's had to wear that forever since, you know. Who the one goal, one goal, yeah. The one goal in mind mm. jokes. Yep. And yeah, mm. it was just such a bizarre, bizarre game with what should have been, so you I've know, never, the Jarman's yeah, heart, Sim, yeah. you know, et cetera. Simsy, they were good, very good. But look, it was, and unfortunately, I know it, it fractured a few relationships at at, uh, at North at the time because Doug Smart and Andrew Jarman went to North the following yeah. year. So, yeah. Which was unusual. 90 was a strange year for us in that um, we lost a couple of players like Delaney went to Fitzroy, yes. uh, Andrew Hobbs went to Melbourne. So we're sort of resetting up again. And then um, we, were, we were going through okay, but we weren't really turning much on. Then we got Ben Harris and Mark Williams back uh, from Brisbane. And uh, that sort of changed the dynamic a fair bit because if you know Mark Williams, uh, he can change any dynamic yeah. in any room yeah. <laughs> at any moment. <laughs> and, it's not like uh, you to make was, an understatement, Timmy G. <laughs> oh, but it was amazing. And he – what I, I, I suppose I, I loved about Choco was he could absolutely take over a room and dominate the rest of it. But if you said, hey, shut up, he really respected that. Yeah. And it was almost like, um, oh, so you're prepared to stand up, you know, and yeah. fight. That's great, you know. So we ended up being really good mates and used to go to Fast Pastor every Friday and have a good chat about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And he was already coaching back then. Don't worry about that. He already yeah. had it in his blood. So yeah. it was amazing. But it changed the dynamic for us a bit. And then oh, I wouldn't say we were – dominating the comp at all. We were sort of in that top three. But then that fateful day happened in, in August when the front page of the paper said yep. Porter going in the AFL and, mm. wow, did the proverbial hit the fan. It was unbelievable. Like, I just – none of us knew. None of the players knew. Um, the board had kept it airtight. And, you know, when the whole thing launched, well, it was just – it's pandemonium and nobody knew what was right, wrong or whatever – yeah. What I loved about the club was they basically said, you blokes, you got nothing to do with it. You're playing footy. You keep your head down, bum up. you gotta, you got to get on with that. Let us worry about all this stuff, you know. And so they kept us pretty much 
you know, divorced of all conversations or any um, speculation or, um, yeah. So there's lots of lots of pandemonium going everywhere. And I remember the probably the, the pressure upon the club to sort of keep winning. But at that stage, we actually, it was almost like, okay, beauty, we've got this campaign now. It's us against the world. And yeah. The first game, Scott, I just kicked some ridiculous amount of goals at Alberton 13 or something ridiculous yep. against these. And we just went on a rampage and just kept winning. And we got to, we got to the finals and we were, I think we, um, we had to play the second semi. That's right. And and we didn't play well. We'd won all these games in a row. We didn't play well. The Bays um, got up by about 10 or 11 points and went straight in the grand final. And then there was this whole campaign to go, well, hey, everybody get behind the bays because we can't yeah. have Port Winner. And it was and we caught a couple of nasty injuries in the in the prelim where Brownie did a hammy. I rolled my ankle and and um Brownie uh, sorry, Rowan had his jaw broken and um so we were gonna be down a couple and that's when Adrian Setri comes in. Yeah. And and uh I think I think Wayne Marnie came into the side as well and Wayne played really well especially in the first quarter, you had an awesome start. And um, we, we played on what I would say an epic grand final. And, and it was just amazing. Scotty kicks the record and hurts his knee, comes back on. And yeah, yeah just a, a really quite an amazing day. We already knew that we'd lost the battle and that the, yeah, the AFL decided that it will be uh, a composite side. And so we sort of knew that, but, we wanted to take the trophy home anyway. So, Tim, did it? Um, has it ever really come out? And did Port actually say in the end, well, poet, you know, to you guys, even as a group, and you, this could be breaking. That hey, we actually got stitched up, and that they weren't the AFL were always going to have a composite side first. No, they never did. What I I, I fronted uh, Greg Bolton wasn't president at the time because Bruce Weber was, yep. but I went and saw Greg. I reckon during the pre-season, we must have been at a function or something, and I just said to him, how did we lose? How, 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 how did that happen? And he goes, Timmy, it was like this. <clears throat> when you go to war, you've got to have a big war chest. We didn't have a big war chest. So what was going to happen is they were going to just keep slapping injunction upon injunction upon injunction, and we didn't have the money to fight it. He said, so... It, it really, in the end, we had to concede that moment so that we could then devise the new plan to get the second license, and we just had to concede. Yeah, my, I said, as I said, my mail was the my mail, and look, I've got to be honest. I reckon my mail is very, very good on that. If you think so, anyway. So, uh, so I, I, I've no doubt that they probably played that card, yeah. hoping that it would force the hand of the other. Yeah. Um, without yeah. a doubt, but I, I think. Um, and and they, I mean, they had the they had the, the licenses and all the rest yeah. of it. They 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 were playing the game. I just feel like I know if you go right back, and it's, it's a long argument, but the WA jumping in without SA buggered it up straight away. Oh, very much so. Yeah, so and, that, that was that was a real mistake. Oh, and WA footy very very nearly went under. Don't worry, they was they were as stuffed yeah. as Port and Sturt were. And that Pacific Holdings, and you may have found a, a Western Australian himself as a, and a former Sydney Swans chairman, um, lost one point three million himself, and things yeah. like that. 
Um, mm. We had yeah, his guest so at a lunch a and I ended up with him. Mm. So, yeah. Um, so, so to just recap there, 88, 89, 90, you guys get leather poisoning and you'd probably take out shares in Sharon. Uh, no, 90. Ross Faulkner would have been. Ross, yes, sorry, Ross Faulkner or Burley, one of the two. Um, yeah, Rossy Faulkner. You then get wind that uh, through media that Port Adelaide are going to put in a bid for the AFL or the VFL back then. Um, you players were told, don't worry about it, we'll take care of it. But surely there was some talk amongst the players as to what the hell's going on here and how do we become a part of it? Well, for us, it was like if I play well, and we play yeah. premiership, I might be a chance of being in that team. And yeah. there was a lot of talk about, well, who, who will come over? And I remember Chris McDermott saying, I'm not playing for them. Yeah. Um, he, did, he did use a few other expletives. But um, <laughs> it was like, there's no way. So we might have we might have struggled to probably attract, uh, what would you say, the best probably the SNFL um, that was going around at the time. But what we might have been able to get was, the, the names like Bradley and Anderson and those sort of guys back that that yeah. could have been and yeah. we, already, we already yeah we what already a sliding had a sliding doors moment that that would have been yeah so we already had a kid called Wanganeen and Martin Leslie yeah. had moved to the the Brisbane, the, you yeah. know, the uh, Brisbane and that so we sort of could have got maybe those those guys back and then um, maybe a, a few would have said yes to come over. You'd have kept um, Buckley. So who knows? Mm. Yeah, we better keep Buckley, going. Here. We better keep going. We better keep going. Andrew on her phone back. Um, That's true. <laughs> okay, let's yeah, go. Yeah, no, yeah, we'll yeah, just yeah, stay we stay with yeah. Port Ad- Port Power for a second. There, um, obviously, you were involved with uh, Port Adelaide at the time when the Power were trying to come into the AFL. Um, yeah. How, how did that all sort of plan out? Obviously, 97 was the year and you had a little bit more of a run-up. And considering back in 83, you guys were pretty much all broke, sounds like yeah. the war chest was built uh, quite considerably by the time you were ready to come in. Oh, yeah. And look, um, unfortunately for uh, probably those that uh, went through that period of time, you know, nobody was paid well and nothing was spent on the facility, let me tell yeah. you that. So, um it was yeah. We were running on on the shoestring because we had to keep that war chest building, but with the emphasis that guys, we've got to win the flag because if we don't win the flag, um, we're going to look stupid trying to bid for the second yeah. license. So it didn't bother me at all. People say, oh, that's a, that's a, you know a um, bit of a heavy expectation. I said, well, we had that expectation anyway. We yeah. wanted to do them anyway, so I had no dramas with that. I think what happened initially though, the crows come in, and I think we all know that the euphoria that went around uh, the Crows at the time was probably um, well, unexpected and and quite frankly over the top. Oh, <laughs> as yeah, far as it was the, ridiculous. Oh, it was ridiculous. It was unbelievable. And a lot of the guys that were either in that squad or guys that had tried out, now the top whatever they – I think they – picked 75 guys to train yeah, or something like that. And, and then 52. Yep. 52. Um, some of our guys went into that training and, and didn't make it and came out of that again, out of that squad and came back. And, you know, we hadn't seen them for the whole pre-season. And um, we had had the worst pre-season. <laughs> when I say worst pre-season, facility was like we couldn't even afford to go down to Victor Harbour where we normally used to go. We, we ended up staying in Manham somewhere, running up gravel hills. It was just <laughs> it was just as rough as guts. And we used to have, get coloured T-shirts to have our teams. And we had old David Arnfield's 
mum's old towels ripped into headbands. So we were that desperate. It was terrible. Oh, wow. Sounds pretty useful. Oh, yeah, don't worry. So old school. I think a lot of people, I think, you know, and Jack spoke to us about it during the season. He just said he felt like a lot of people had um, just dropped their bundle a bit as far as, you know, aspiring because it was like, well, there's this other massive beast in town now and we're a bit irrelevant and, and you know, maybe – and he was saying, you can't, you can't dwell on what might have been. And the good thing for me was I was never involved in any of that. I never got picked up in the squad, never got asked, you name it. So yeah. I didn't have that I didn't have that burden personally, but I could see that that probably did affect a few other lads. So I, I could see Jack again reading the room and getting it right. We had a terrible year in 91 and got smashed in the elimination final and knocked out. Yeah. So it's the end of that, it was like, the embarrassment of that, the club came down pretty hard on all of us. And for the first time in my existence at Port, we had a um, post-season interviews and reviews. Okay. With, with the with the coach, the um, the president, the, um, uh, the 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 fitness guy. It was like, whoa, this has never happened before. They were that filthy and that angry because it looked bad on our resume. So it was like, okay, so. Honestly, in in '92, um, I think a couple of players um, went off. But the only change we really had to our lineup was uh, Ron Smith came back from one year at St Kilda, oh, yeah. and um, we had two kids come into the team. Uh, one 19 called Brett Chalmers, and the other 20 year old called Nathan Buckley. Yeah, they, and, had, a, they had a bit of an impact. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> they had a bit of an impact. Just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, let's was, go. Was, Tim, let's Amazing. go through to 94, 95, 96. And the grand final against Woodville West Torrens in 94. And let's be honest, you won Port the game. Port were nearly gone. Go through that, mate. Yeah, it was a it, – it in the end, it looks, it looks like a pivotal moment, but you have to have a, about 100 more to win a game. But I, I felt like it was – the game was a bit – it was overcast, it was dark, and – We'd gone through three finals. We we played a drawn qualifying final against Centrals where we had to play extra time and nobody really knew what was going on. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. so we, we ended up winning that one, but it took a lot out of us because you had to do the five minutes each way after yeah. you've yeah. done everything else. And then we played the second semi and we were still in that game nearly, you know, sort of to three-quarter time. And then we just ran out of legs and they belted us by about 12 goals. So it looked like a nastier loss than what it really was. Yep. We went back to the prelim. We're able to beat Centrals to come back in. But lo and behold, you know, 25 minutes in, we're six goals down and haven't scored a goal. It was like looking pretty bad. And I remember standing there and it was it was an incident that happened when Daryl Borlase walked up to me and said, don't worry about them, Nick, but we're going to come back and win this game. And as I turned around and look at him and think, you know, is he okay? Is he the full quit? <laughs> I looked around. His man said something to, Bort, to Daisy about, you know, you're an idiot or something like that. Yep. Normal banter. Yep. Anyway, the, the young fellow on me said, uh, yeah, Paul, they said, uh, and I thought, hang on, hang on. You're not old enough to have a go at him. Yeah. Like, you know, yep. you're bloody 19 or 20. You don't get to have a go at him. He's bloody 29 or something. I said, I said, you shut your mouth. Uh, and he says, uh, no, or something like that. I said, you shut it, or so I'll shut it for you. And he said, no, you won't. <laughs> so anyway, it was a bit of banter. And then the ball goes, and I'll never forget, it went down the outside, 
kicked it into the pocket. Steve Williams went to market and it slipped out of his hands and went over the boundary line. So, geez, we're having a bad day. So I go to the pocket for the um, throwing and an old fella who was a Nord supporter, let me tell you, Malcolm, that I used to do some sprint training with, he taught me, he said, you know, when that ball's getting thrown in, if somebody's grabbing your jumper or tagging you, yep. he said, just a quick little movement of the elbow into the solar plexus and they'll let go. And that's exactly what happened. The ball got thrown in because yep. he said all the all the eyes are on the ball, aren't they? Who was that, the fitness guy? I've got to ask. Oh, it was an old fella called Barney. He was out of the Adelaide Harriers. This is oh, about, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep, yep. This, is, yep. This, this is like about, oh, I'm talking 1984. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Guy, you mean, yep. Yeah, lovely old fella. And um, so the ball got thrown in and I did, I was getting scruffed and I thought, no, nah, I'm going to do Barney's trick. And I went, boom. And I heard him go, oh, and I thought, ah, oh, beauty, you know, got rid of him. And I thought nothing else of it because it's something you do a hundred times at stoppage. And um, I've jogged off. And then I just turned around. <gasps> He's got the second wind and come full pelt at me to hit me. And I thought, well, <laughs> I've got to get in first here. So, so I got in first and I thought, right, beauty. It's fallen over and I'm about to put the second one in. And about 10 blokes jumped on the top of me and started goking up me. And I thought, I heard the whistle. I thought, oh, God, it's a bad day. I got reported. And uh, he said, pre-kick Timmy Jenner. I thought, you beauty. <laughs> Couldn't believe my luck. Went back. I'll never forget the replay. Paul Northeast pointing to his head going, that's smart. And they put that smart. And I'm thinking, you don't know half the story, mate. <laughs> and uh, so I went back, kicked the goal. And automatically, the, it, it changes the mood. And Darren Mead had just gone into ruck. He rips it out, kicks it long. Scotty takes a one-handed mark. Mark, yeah. And the guy that gave the free kick away to me... Glenn Freeborn, yep. No, yeah, no, Glenn didn't give it away. Oh, sorry, it, was it wasn't Glenn. Kennedy. No, that's right. It was it, Ke- Kennedy. It, was, uh, was it, just, Kennedy? No, it wasn't Kennedy. Um, I'll get his name in a minute. Hannum. Hannum. Right. He, he then jumped on Scotty after he marked it and gave away 25. Yeah. And so Scotty kicks a certain goal. So run six down at quarter time, you're only four. And we knew from that moment onwards, okay, boys, we're going to eat this elephant bit of the bit of the time. And it, it, by three quarter time, we felt the momentum totally swung. Oh, and it was, felt, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Watching that, and obviously, I was, yeah, Bruce Winter's coach, and so there's a connection there. And obviously, yeah. it's against Port anyway, so I'm going to be barracking for the opposition. <laughs> and uh, yeah, at three, at three quarter time, I thought, nah, Port have got this. Yeah, yeah. I had a. It's amazingly, we went back to what is. What, what uh, uh, Bojangles developed into Joplin's with the oh, extension. Yes, yes, yeah. I had. Geez, we're reliving our life here, Timmy G. Yeah, yeah. The night of the 94 grand final, walked in there at about, I don't know, say 2 a.m. and stayed till 6 a.m. with Bruce Winter talking. Can you believe that? Yeah, I reckon Bruce has told me that somehow. Yeah. 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 And, it, and he said, I've got to get out of here before. I start thinking that you're a good bloke. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it was that was a good laugh. But he's a great bloke. I he think is. we, yeah, we got on really well. I mean, I said, mate, you, you bloody caused me pain ten years ago in '84. So if I can give a little bit back, I'm happy. All's fair in love and war. So kick and then say '95, '96. You, you know, you you just port dominated and really just pure results wise. There was no other option but to give Port the second the second license. 
Yeah, well, that the end of that '94, we knew um, there was um, Schwab and uh, Oakley sitting in the crowd when the last quarter happened, and I saw when I walked into the change rooms afterwards, I saw you know board members flying at one another, hugging, kissing. They knew that that was the sealer. And yeah, it the, makes sense. That, They'd made the comment that they said, Jesus is as loud as the MCG. This is incredible. They just couldn't believe the passion of this team coming back from nowhere to win a grand final by six after they were down by six. So the, the decision came shortly afterwards and, and that the licence was coming. And um, so by 95, we knew we were going in to the, to the AFL at some stage. And it was supposed to be 96, but they postponed that because of Fitzroy and the 100th year yeah. of the VFL, which was... Yeah. A bit disappointing for some of us older chaps who yes. thought we might take <laughs> Yeah, that one year is pretty yeah. important. Is, uh, that one yeah. year, yeah. yeah, that one year was crucial and and that hurt uh, a good good deal of us. But, yeah, that's life. And I know yeah. Port did the right thing by going into the younger squad. I think that was a, a, a very good decision that paid dividends, obviously, later on. So, um, But that time... 95 and 96, we were like a really well-oiled machine. We attracted a couple of guys like Robbie West and Malakalis and these guys that thought that, you know, if there's a second chance at AFL, maybe it's through these guys. And yeah. and, and they gave us much added speed around the footy that we needed. Yeah, Me and Stephen and, um, you know, uh, Daryl Borlase, we could win the ball, but we weren't quick. So it was great to get those guys around us who could just explode away, you know. And um, so it really gave us a good mix. And we had good, solid, consistent years in both those years. And, you know, we played Centrals in 95 and, uh, you know, it sort of hurt me a bit walking into the rooms because Alan Stewart's always been a very good friend and a, and a mentor for me. Oh, and, yeah, of course, um, yes. With your having to see, yeah, the disappointment. Coach, yep. Yep. Yeah, having to see the disappointment on his face. And I said to him, look, they're getting harder. I said, but what you're doing here with your boys is unbelievable. And, you know, you, you really should build a statue for you down, Elizabeth, because yeah, I said, bloody oath. You've changed the whole whole mentality of the place. So, and then the following year, he gave it up and um, ended up becoming our list manager at uh, Port oh, Adelaide. Yeah. When yeah. Stevie Wright took over, and and they had a great year. They beat us four times in '96, yeah. four times. Yeah. And I'll never forget when we lost the second semi. I was so angry in the rooms. I think I've told you this, Malcolm, but I got interviewed after the game by. A journalist, and I can't remember who it was, and they said something like, um, so, you know, uh, what did you think of that game there? They've beaten you four times. And I said, oh, I'm that angry, I'm that angry. I said, now we've got to go back and play Nord in the prelim, and whoever wins that wins the flag. I said, oh, so disappointing. <laughs> and, and he said, he said, what? And I said, well, no. I said, well, obvious, isn't it? You know, I said, Nord play the prelim. Whoever wins that wins the flag. I said, you know, just obvious. And he goes, how can you say that? They've beaten you four times. I said, because they got no idea how to win one. I said, Norton Port have been winning them for years. Yeah. We know how to win them. They don't have any clue. I said, so whoever gets through is going to win. And, and I was... You're bloody yeah, right. right. Yeah. Well, I was right, but they wrote an article um, something about arrogant Jennifer dismisses <laughs> Bulldogs. <laughs> well, you were still correct. But, was... but what I was doing, it, it, was, it was the belief system Jack puts into us. It was, it was basically, no, 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 don't get... Um, arrogance mixed up with belief. They're mm. two totally different things. Yeah. And then it has belief has substance behind it, and arrogance is just a, a statement. So it, it was absolutely true that we believed we could win 
and as you saw and turned out, you know, it was one of the classic prelim finals of all time. And was, well, on and that, though, well, Tim. Was that the one with Scotty Hodges yes, kicking yeah, it? Yep. Yeah, yep. So on that, yeah. Tim, I'm actually went reasonably serious health problem. I'm in hospital and I'm pretty crook. And wow. let's say when Hodges has kicked the goal, a, ra- a radio came off second best at Burnside oh. Hospital. In runs yeah. this nurse thinking that I'd collapsed on the floor and yeah, went code blue. And go cool. yeah, and goes, Oh, football is that all? And uh, let's just say my <laughs> reply back made sure that I was no chance to win the Burnside Hospital Patient of the Year Award. Uh, such a great year after Port of Bloody come from nowhere to win us and a smash radio everywhere on the floor. Yeah, yes. Oh, classic. I appreciate that because, yes, we've all had those moments in our oh. footy career. So, Scotty's free kick, uh, how confident were you with him kicking it? No, no, no. I, I, I've honestly said this to him himself. I... I started setting up the zone for the game. Bloody wish it had a missed. I'm screaming and yelling at everybody else to in set up fashion. in the zone oh. because I wanted to hold it in and trap it and try and score. And because he'd missed two dead in front just pr- prior to that. Mm. And That's right. I thought, well, this this is almost impossible. Breeds was going left to right. He's nearly 50 out. I know he can make the distance, but, you know, anyway, it goes back. And the minute he hit it, I just started heading back to the centre square. Yeah. I just could not believe how well he hit it. It didn't deviate. No. It was an amazing kick. We, we saw some footage, obviously, this week uh, with Nord playing Port at the parade uh, with Scotty doing that. And the free kick, uh, as a Nord supporter, I reckon it was there, but uh, it was oh. right in front of the umpire and he had no choice but to give it and Scotty just flushed it, didn't he? The other thing about that, Pete, is I reckon as time goes on, and you see what's paid today. Yeah, this looks like an incredibly obvious free kick. Yeah, back yeah. In, back then it was very controversial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in '96, yeah. most people said, "Oh, was it there? Yeah. You sure?" Yeah, you know. So um, I know when we did a little piece on it at uh, Port Adelaide, we did a little uh, recall piece on it. Richard Kelly was interviewed. He said, uh, "He said, nah, it, it wasn't even in you know, in the side, let alone in the back." and you know, could could have been there, and then I think Scotty says, either around the neck or in the back, which one do you want to pay? <laughs> <laughs> so the difference of opinion was quite wide. <laughs> now you be an F in ninety in ninety seven, Tim, and turning out, and what a great day that was, the grand final, uh, ninety seven grand final. Um, but you're deciding to retire after that game, game and winning the B and well, yeah, yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually retire immediately. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know that was going to be my last game. Had no idea. I just went in, um, you know, thinking that it was a grand final. I want to win. So yep. I didn't actually decide. I didn't. I didn't retire till December. Um, yeah. So it it came about. I had. I think I told you before. I had a calcification on the back of my uh, right heel that um, continued to grow, and over time, and what. What it was doing was the Achilles that was attached to the back of the heel was extending out over the top of the calcification. So every year the calcification grew, the Achilles was getting stretched further and further. And what eventually was happening, I, I used to have a cortisone in it at the beginning of the year and I could get through a season. Uh, then I was having two cortisones and then I was having three cortisones yeah, yeah, yeah. because it was getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. 
by the time the last season came, I, I was limping really badly in about, I reckon there was about five weeks to go in the finals. I said to Stephen Williams, who'd taken over coaching by then, and said, I, I just don't know if I can go. And he said, do whatever you can, let's just get through the finals. So I went and saw the club doctor. He said, you can't have any more because cortisone like that, you keep having them, the, op- the opportunity is uh, it makes you, um, your tendon brittle and all snap. Yeah. And so I took his advice and went to a different doctor. And <laughs> <laughs> I had six cortisones in it to play the final series of 97. And I got, I got through without it snapping, thankfully. Um, I remember but, Brian Colby doing his at Footy Park. Yeah, yeah when they go, they go. Yes. It's, it's so I ended up um, post that trying to then – I was indecided about what, what I was going to do, and I thought, well, I'll go to pre-season. I went to pre-season, and, and we just did a, like a weir run to begin. I came stone motherless last and, and couldn't even – like hardly complete it, and, and that was embarrassing. And I just said – I think I've got a serious problem here, Steve. And he said, well, go and, go and see what you have to do, you know. So I went and saw some specialists, and in the end he said, "You got." we took, you know, MRIs and yep. pictures of it. And they, there was an inch of um, calcification on it by this stage. Incredible. And he said, we've got to operate, take it off, shave the bone back, reattach your Achilles. Oh, I said, oh, shit, that sounds a bit nasty. I said, how long would that be? He said, oh, it's about six to 12-month recovery. And I said, mate, I'm 31. Like, I've got to be back out there, you know, before Christmas. And he said, yeah, you won't be doing that. And so I, I had to make things up. And at the time, John Cole said, listen, I wouldn't mind you coming over and helping um, with the team as, a, as a, like a skills coach slash midfield, I suppose, uh, involvement. And yeah. um, I thought, well, that, that could be – that could be a coaching road. Who knows? It could be, you know, what other AFL clubs going to ask you to come along and yeah. help? And I thought, well, bloody hell, there's an opportunity. And if I have the operation, I can't play anyway, and I can't play without it. So I was sort of almost forced into it, if you like. And I decided not to do it. So I didn't have the operation. I retired. I went with Jack for that year in 98 um, at the Power, which was a really interesting year considering still won nine and a half games and just missed yeah, the finals, yeah. uh, which was amazing for its second year. But in the end, um, a year later, I couldn't even do a lap of the Oval, so I had to have the operation a year later. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it was true. It took me 12 months recovery as well. So And then coaching Port Magpies. Well, yeah, that was that was a bit later in life. That was yep. 2006. But by then, we had this that terrible, obviously, the model that was set up to put Port Adelaide, or oh, sorry, it's ridiculous. Keep, yeah, yeah. Port Adelaide in the SNFL had no yeah. revenue stream, yeah. so it really was, you know, a case of talk about no resources. It was just horrendous. At one stage, you know, I couldn't even get footballs for training. It was that um, desperate. So, what Stephen Williams has never received the praise he should have for, oh, for yeah, Ethelton that you were two clubs, and it, he's he. What it's are you there? Hard. That that's one of the great, great, greatest ever. Uh, coaching achievements and club achievements in footy. Yeah, yeah, and it just got too hard, unfortunately. And the and the yeah, you know, the couple was there basically. And I knew personally this isn't right. It's just not right, and it's it's not why we aspired to get into the AFL. Why we wanted to get ourselves to the highest level. 
And this is just not right. The whole Port Adelaide thing is a disaster. So I know if my time there as coach actually helped me to sort of go, no, this just needs to be one. It just needs to be one Port Adelaide, and it can't yeah. be uh, can't be a, a two separate beasts who almost you know compete for the same audience. It's just like insanity. I just didn't like it. So yeah, in the end, I, I think the model it, it, it still it still wasn't 100 percent right. I would love to have seen us keep. That juniors alive and the like, but I think one day we'll see Port Adelaide only um, in the AFL and, and not in the SNFL. Yeah, no, that's coming. It's going it's, to. Yeah. It and it's tragedy in one way, isn't it? Oh. Yeah, look, it is. But when you aspire to be in there, I, I still say today, and I say this to Rowie all the time. I just wish there had been a lot cooler and calmer heads in 1990 who could have sat down together and said, right, let's. Let's do what we should do. Put the two best teams in, Nord and Port. Yeah, see, but, I still disagree uh, vehemently on that. That I still I know, say, you, did. I, yeah, I, I know yeah. you still like your crows, but I... No, not I that. Just, I still just think... I think the other club supporters deserve more respect than it had to be a composite side. Yeah, and I, I still say mate. the AFL, as I've said, I've always said that they got what they wanted. So, anyway, we'll keep going yeah, on your, co- on your coaching. Yeah, they did. did so, yeah. But did. in the end, look, I, I tell you what, I learned a lot lessons about coaching and I had a lot more empathy for coaches Yeah, and I've, I've developed this really good line that I always say when people are complaining about their coach, I just say, I said the problem with coaching is everybody who's not doing it can do it better Yeah, yeah. bloody and old. that that is, a, that is a reality and it's all too easy to say this would happen, that would happen if I want to do this and why don't you do that and I go, yeah the problem is sometimes if you're the coach and you do A to B and, and B to C and it still doesn't work, you go, fuck it all. Let's get one yeah, on here. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. This is frustrating. Do, do you believe Nord should be one of the teams to come into the AFL if new licences are granted? Oh, look, I don't think they'll be able to do it now. No, no, but I'm just saying in an no. ideal world, uh, would you uh, like to have seen Nord in there? Or I would like to have seen them. Like I said, I would like to have seen them yeah. in at the beginning. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so let's go on that elimination final. You... It's actually weird that it was almost wasn't your fault in ter- not your fault, sorry, not Port's fault in terms of losing that game. Effectively, Neil Craig nearly decided that result. He did. He did. Yes. Dropping bloody Taylor Walker. Yeah. And Tex yeah. just dominant. Tex was yeah. just way too good. It didn't matter what yeah. Port what, what well, you did. You, you could have, you could have, yeah. When I see him on Adelaide Oval and I see him, um, Pick ten the other day and all the rest, yeah. and I just I keep having flashbacks of that yeah. freaking final. <laughs> Look, it was it was amazing. It was the it was the difference between the two sides. I think it was a an eighteen point result or seventeen yeah. points, but he was well, oh. kick seven. Yeah, kick seven. He yeah. seven. had it on yeah. a string, didn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, he was significantly uh, yeah. the difference in that game. Now, a couple of things to finish off with, and let's just say I this is one thing that I do totally agree with you, Tim. Greg Phillips being Greg Phillips being the best player you played with, I could not agree more. Yeah, I look, he, like I said, for for the whole reason of just everything about team, and uh, just been, I always say he made careers, and people who played with him disagree. They just say we'd see that ball coming in, we'd see Greg underneath it, and we would just take off by our opponent and start sprinting because it was either going to come by hand or foot any minute. So he just dominated. Uh, and it's funny, back and- we actually spoke about that yesterday briefly, Tim, where 
I said the perfect example as a player and breaking news, Joe Root outstumped Alex Carey, bowled Nathan Lyon for 46. Um, <laughs> and that, Tim, in terms of that, was Peter Hoffner, a guy back yeah, here. He yeah, looked, yeah, you yeah. would have thought this guy is a gun, you know, got offered huge money over, goes over to WA and he and hardly played a league game and ended up playing reserves and was back here. And everyone just realised, well, hang on. Williams, uh, Phillips was so good. Mm-hmm. And as a Nord supporter, look, don't don't dare think I didn't uh, respect Russell and all that, but we still had Rod Seacamp, Michael Taylor, uh, who had great records on Russell. Robert Comp did for Sturt and all that, but Greg Phillips was the one. It didn't matter he what any other it. side yeah. did. He, his ability to read the play and then give it off with a handball, and I admit, if I'm picking my best ever side, it's out of Greg Phillips or Ross Glendening at centre half back. So that shows how I how highly yeah. I regard Greg Phillips. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of that. <laughs> and now one of the greatest characters you played with, and look, it's funny that go back go back there with you in that regard where I first met you was umpiring at a when I umpired you at Woodville High, was yep. umpiring Rowan at for Taparu, I reckon. I'm trying to yes, remember what's yes. Taparu yep. Yeah, umpire, and he played in a beanie at school and that. That's right, yeah. And just umpiring Rowan. Got to meet Rowan a bit and then just have got to know Rowan a little bit over the years through basically if you go to Port Districts and if, Rowan, and if Rowan's not there, ring the police because yep. something, something's, ha- something's happened. <laughs> yep. And, you know, there was one day there I got – and Rowan, you know, he knew I knew my footy and – we end up talking, and because it was at Port Districts, he's in there in cricket as well. He's watching Port Districts on yep. a sun, on a Saturday as well. Like I think his car just drives it drives itself to Port Districts yep. on a, on a Saturday. The original Tesla, um, and then <laughs> and just end up chatting away with. And he is he's an absolute character. And tell the story about him turning up to the grand final with with uh, with a, with a bag because that is for Port supporters out there who don't know this and anyone else, it is one of the great footy stories around. Go oh. for it, Tim. Yeah, I'll narrow it down. But look, he walked in and he had a he had a, an overnight bag with him. And I remember Wayne Marnie sort of hit me and said, "Look at this." And I said, "He's, he's got an overnight bag." We said, "Rum, what are you doing?" He said, "Oh, um, I told Mum I'm not coming home for a fortnight." <laughs> and I said, "But hang on, mate, we haven't won yet." And he said, "Nah, told him I'm not coming home for a fortnight." I said, "Well." Hang on, Ron. I said, do you realise in two weeks' time we've booked the trip to America? We're going overseas for the footy trip. And he goes, oh, shit. He said, I'm not coming home for a month. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's unbelievable. He did not give a shit whether we won, lost or whatever. He said he was not going home. He was. A, he is a character. And I tell you what, he's just that quiet first in the corner. But, geez, you, you don't want to you don't want to get start drinking with him because. Rowan's fine, but you're non-compass mantis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, oh, he look, goes all right, just quietly. Jack was always hot on Sunday morning training. He, he'd say, I don't care what you got up to the night before. You can rock up in your yeah, clothes yeah. that you were wearing, but you'd be here before nine, okay? That's the rules. Nine o'clock, I shut the door on you. And he, he was true to his word. And Rowan knew this. So Rowan would say to me, now listen, when you get to training, you see my car, just look in the back seat. <laughs> and he said, if I'm in there, 
knock on the window and get me up. <laughs> so I got past many a day and just check and see if he was in there or not. And uh, many a time he was. And, yeah. and he'd come in and Jack wouldn't care. He'd go get him some shorts or something, will you? And, uh, and we'd get the we get this, the, this, the week begun that, that day, he reckons. We go for a jog, get it out of our system. Boys who would normally not get their injury seen to get onto that early and everything starts the, to the process again. And uh, I, I loved it. And some of our Sunday mornings, as much as it was painful waking up sometimes with hangovers, it was like, you know what? I love the Sunday morning mm. feeling, especially when you won you, you get to talk about it again. You're with your mates. Um, you have ice, and they'd always put a breakfast on. You know, you pay five bucks and get bacon and eggs, and we'd sit there and you know what could wind up into another session anyway. So it was always a really good uh, um, bonding day for us, and I think went, went a long way to us um, being so close. Now, to Tim, now you've been in the media now for a long time, and let's go back. There was the time there where Port Power kept losing in the finals, and uh, you got a, you used to get a caller quite convincing uh, each year as uh, Anna Kornikova because uh, Port had <laughs> lost in straight sets again. Yes. Hello, it's yes. Anna Kornikova here. And let's just say Tim was ready. He, if he could have killed me through the phone at one stage, he would have done it. Yeah. I, you know what? As much as that might have rolled me, you know what? There was a moment where I could have jumped through the glass at the MCG was now, and you know me, Malcolm. I don't, I don't shove anything in anybody's face. I've ne- yep. I never have. I'm not yep. that sort of blame. Yep. And I'd say John Cale's probably one of the most uh, humble and gracious blokes, depending on whether he won or lost. Yep. Well, John, John and I were working for Triple M Adelaide, and we were part of the commentary team that went over for the 2003 prelim bef- between Collingwood and Port Adelaide. Uh, Collingwood beat us. Um, quite convincingly, and we heard this massive smashing on the window, and I turned around to see Eddie McGuire and Dana Burden doing the choker hold around their neck to me and Jack. That's pretty young. Wow. And I just looked at him and I looked at Jack, and I said, can you believe this? Yeah. And I just looked back at him like that, and I think the look on my face made him sort of go, oh, yeah, they're not they're not laughing at that. Nah, and nah. and it was like I just could not fathom that two grown men of that yeah. stature could behave like that at that moment. I do admit to what your your T V broadcast, my favourite is two thousand and fourteen where you got very, very frustrated with Kira McGuinness dominating the game and uh, oh, yeah, I reckon well, you might have made a move if you'd been coached. Let's, let's <laughs> say that came through pretty strongly and yeah, I did enjoy that, Timmy G. I'll tell you, Piers Seymour plays very similar, doesn't he? He did yesterday. Mm. Yeah, he yeah. had a great game yesterday. Yeah, yeah he was he was very good. So, yes, I tell you what, you have those moments, and that's that's you know, footy's a bit like life, and you have these incredible, exhilarating moments, and you have these incredibly disappointing moments, um, but they all teach you things in life, don't they? Yeah. Mate, we will get you out of here on this one. Like we like to do with most of our guests, we like to ask them, who are your toughest opponents that you played on? And um, maybe top three or top four. I know there's probably too many to, to, to name, but there's probably a couple in there that stand out. Uh, yeah, look, I think just the best rover, I reckon, probably since the war, was, is John Platten. 
Um, it was just a Bloody pleasure to watch him. Yeah. You know, I only played a few years against him before he left, and I just thought he was – he had everything. He had speed. He had courage. He could jump high. Could, he could kick long. He could take screamers. Um, he had everything I didn't. So he was, he was amazing. Um, so I think that, that he's definitely the best rover I ever saw play, which was obviously my primary position. From there, just um, in lateral life, I got to play. They wanted me to play as, as like that kick behind player rather than the rover who goes forward of the ball. So I played in my latter years, probably my last four behind the football and had to stand uh, Gary a lot, number 14. So uh, I had a lot of respect for Gary just as an opponent, as a player, um, fellow captain, you name it. And um, just loved the way he went about his work. And I I always thought, people always say, oh, he's tough and he's hard and all the rest. But I always say, Gary's one of the most skilled players I've ever played against. Oh, bloody hell, he's By him and a foot. Yeah. Just amazing. So, yeah, he was he was exceptional. I think, and that as a direct opponent, the guy I had the most trouble with, and this might there's there's two back pockets that absolutely used to peeve me off for different reasons. Um, the first one was your uh, Froggy Murdoch. Um, I just I've never met a bloke so dedicated to sacrificing his own game to stop yours. And I, I don't know if I in my whole time playing against him. If I maybe kicked one goal, he was just unbelievably. Don't dedicated. worry, Froggy. This will be this will be front and center on Froggy's Facebook page. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so yeah, he he and it's a credit to him. He really was dedicated. Um, the other back pocket that I, for a totally different reason, I had trouble with was Ross Gibbs. Yeah. He would not stand anywhere near. He's he just ran ground, and, didn't he? And, and I'd be thinking, oh, you beauty, I want to kick goals. What would happen inevitably? The ball coming on next minute, he'd be standing on my head, taking a hanger. Yeah. And I used to think, what the? Yeah. So he was really frustrating. I know. Talking to Rowie, he said, "Oh, Gibbsy." He said, "I never, never got a goal on Gibbsy. He was yeah. a nightmare." Yeah. So yeah, it was funny how you you had some players you just matched up on beautifully and thought, "Yep, I'm going to have a day out here," and then others you just thought, "Oh, geez, this, this not this bloke again." Um. Yeah. So I had a lot of yeah, and I could keep going. For, for a million years and name a million blokes, but I, I just loved, uh, you know, the guys that were just hard at it and just, you know, Roger Gurdon from Central's had a lot of respect for because, you know, yep. he, he just he just always gave you a contest. And then you knew if that there was a 50-50 ball, Roger's not pulling out, I'll tell you right now. So I love that stuff. And, and it was good. I was, you know, I was over many, many years. I, I admired the way in my early days of the setups that, you know, Keith Thomas and Neville Roberts would work out together in our place yeah yeah and of course of course you're only as good as your last game though tim in terms of that it's obviously nord and port yesterday you bloody beauty (laughs) liam robinson (laughs) seven points and how's the irony yeah yeah yeah. it was a seven point result at alberton so that's amazing i thought that was incredible and i saw bloody date um Val Fleming after the game, and he said, oh, we got the cup, Timmy. I said, it's a draw, you idiot. And he said, we're keeping it. I said, you're making the rules up as you go along. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we're the holders. So it's like we keep the cup. Yep, yep. Still the most important from... trophy in world sport. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thanks, mm. All right, boys, I better fly. Yeah, I was just going to say, mate, we'll finish off on this one. Obviously, your media commitments with Triple M there initially, but now you're currently with uh, 5AA and commenting with Rowie. Managing Rowie. to put up with Rowie. Yeah, that that is that your is... greatest achievement in life. <laughs> Bugger hands, mate. Play? 
you know, I was gnawed over. I thought if he's going to get any love, it's going to be here. And if I had a dollar for every person that said, how do you put up with our yeah. Rowie? <laughs> <laughs> so oh, was classic. for our listeners, uh, Timmy and uh, Timmy G and, and Rowie are on 5AA uh, weeknights between 4 and 7. Is that correct? Yeah. And, that is correct. Yep, and um, and if you want to catch up with that, by all means, listen to Timmy G. And thank you once again, Timmy, and for now your time. I've got, and now I've got Angie's number. I'm going to give her a call, and we're going off to Bojangles. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Good on you, boys. Thanks, Thanks Tim. For that. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, mate. Bye.